I love this passage from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. It's so upbeat, so encouraging, so inspiring. And when I read it, I want to sing, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Again, I say, Rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Again, I say, Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. Yes, we better stop now or we'll never be able to song. You're actually, we'll never be able to stop. There's not an end to that song, <laughs> which I think is exactly Paul's point. We should never stop rejoicing in God. That Paul should write such letters, such words at all is pretty amazing, given that he was penning this letter in a Roman prison cell, facing the possibility of execution. Perhaps even more amazing, however, are the words that appear two verses later. Do not worry about anything, as if Paul didn't have anything to worry about. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not worry. Don't worry. How many times have we heard or said those words? A lot of times, right? Right? Do we believe them when we say them? Sometimes when we say them to other people, usually we really mean it. Don't worry, it'll be okay. But sometimes when people say that to us, we're not quite so sure. And to be honest, we just probably keep right on worrying. It's just what we do. We just can't seem to help it. Can't seem to help it. Yeah. Well, Paul has a solution for that. He says, in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. When you are worried, pray. When you are anxious, pray. When you are fretting, pray. And we do, don't we? When a family member is ill or we're ill, we pray. We put names on the prayer list. We ask for prayers on Facebook. We pray. When we are struggling or fearful, we pray. We make our requests known to God. In a commentary on this passage, Alice McKenzie tells her about her father, who was an author, publisher, and historian. She writes, he had many talents, but he wasn't big on fixing things around the house. If the toilet wasn't working, if a shutter fell off the front of the house, or if the garage door was stuck shut, his motto was, call somebody. And that's exactly what we're doing when we pray, right? We are calling somebody with a capital S to help us. Over the several months this year that my daughter Katie was in severe pain for reasons that could not be determined, I called on that somebody a lot. Over and over again, I asked God to guide the doctors to give her strength to end the pain. It didn't really keep me from worrying about her, but I felt like I was at least doing something to help her. I know that many of you prayed too, and I am grateful. She is now free from pain and an overactive gallbladder, and she too is thankful for your concern and your prayers. Thankful. Some of you may have noticed that I left out a couple of words when I read that verse a few minutes ago. Paul actually writes, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving, 
We've talked a lot about gratitude this past month, and we've even put this visual reminder on the wall of the many wonderful things for which we are grateful. But what about the times when things aren't so wonderful? What about when illness strikes or when we are struggling with problems or overwhelmed by demands or facing hardship? How can we pray with thanksgiving in those situations? How can we thank God when we don't know how or even if our prayers will be answered? I would suggest that first of all, we can pray in those circumstances with thanksgiving because in Jesus Christ, we know the one, the somebody to whom we are speaking. In Genesis' ministry, we see God's compassion and mercy for those who are ill or in need. And in his death and resurrection, we see the height and the depth and the breadth of God's unfailing love. To pray with thanksgiving is to express our trust in the one who is faithful and to be open to God's working in our lives. It means being grateful, not necessarily for our troubles, but for God's goodness, God's presence, God's guidance, and even for God's listening ear. To pray with thanksgiving is to center ourselves in our relationship with the God who loves us. That is exactly what Paul did. Even though he was imprisoned and facing a capital charge, even though he was concerned for the well-being of his churches, he remained focused on God. Indeed, only a few verses later, Paul writes, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little and what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and being in need. And the secret is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that's all good and well, you may be thinking, but Paul was an extraordinary individual. I'm not sure I have that kind of faith. I get it. I'm not sure either. <laughs> to pray with thanksgiving under any and all circumstances is challenging, to say the least, which is why we need to pr practice giving thanks regularly to cultivate our sense of gratitude each and every day. In a 2010 blog about this passage, Steve Gautier write, relates a story told by Dr. Fulton Ausler. I had to look him up. He um, was an American journalist, playwright author and editor, and some of you may remember the 1965 movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told. Well, that movie was based on his book. Okay. So it seems that when Dr. Ausler was a child, he was cared for by a woman named Anna, a former African-American slave who had been hired by his family after emancipation. And Goodyear writes, tells this story this way. He remembered her sitting at the kitchen table, her hands folded and her eyes gazing upward as she prayed. Much obliged, Lord, for the vittles. He asked her what vittles were, and she replied they were food and drink. He told her that she would get food and drink whether or not she gave thanks, and Anna said, yes, we'll get our vittles, but it makes them taste better when we're thankful. <laughs> she told him that an old preacher taught her as a little girl to always look for things to be grateful for. So as soon as she awoke each morning, she asked herself, what is the first thing I can be grateful for today? 
Sometimes the smell of early morning coffee perking in the kitchen found its way to her room, and on those mornings the aroma prompted her to say, much obliged, Lord, for the coffee, and much obliged, too, for the smell of it. Young Fulton grew up and left home. One day he received a message that Anna was dying. He returned home and found her in bed with her hands folded over her white sheets just as he had seen them folded in prayer over her white apron at the kitchen table so many times before. He wondered what she could give thanks for at a time like this. As if reading his mind, she opened her eyes and gazed at the loving faces around her bed. Then shutting her eyes again, she said quietly, much obliged, Lord, for such fine friends. I don't know if this story is true or not, but it doesn't matter. I love the idea of waking up and asking, what is the first thing I can be grateful for today? Sometimes it's just for waking up, honestly. You know, it comes down to taking time to notice the blessings that are all around us, even the small ones. On Thursday morning, I came to church with a long list of things to do, but when I got out of my car, my attention was drawn to the fountain that's out on our patio because in it there were two or three small birds that were splashing and themselves and bathing in that fountain. And I just watched them. They were so fun to watch. And then I saw a squirrel going up the tree and I just stood there for a while. And, and when I finally tore myself away, it was with a smile on my face and a sense of gratitude and well-being in my heart that I headed down to the office. But that's not the only thing for which I'm grateful this week. I'm thankful for all those folks who gave their time and love to care for the families who stayed with us this week during our family hosting weekend, for the patience and understanding of the many outside groups who had to move to a different space in our facility in order to make room for these families. I was grateful to have the chance to share a fellowship and dinner with the Canaan congregation after their service on last Sunday. We were celebrating the anniversary of that congregation and four birthdays and we went to Rock and Brews where they have a dog menu and had a good time. <laughs> I'm grateful that I was able to play with little Glaffy and Nora on Thursday just for a little bit. I'm thankful for the leadership of our church council which met this week and for the support of our staff parish relations committee. I'm grateful for those who worked on a draft of a new church vision statement which you will soon be seeing. I'm thankful for our work, work, worship team, and today I'm thankful for Marilyn Harper, who created our Thanksgiving altar, and for Kim Huntoon's bouquet. And I'm thankful for Ellie, who's doing multiple jobs this morning, <laughs> for our ushers and greeters, for Patty, who's fitting in, for Kenner, too, who was sick today, and for all the folks who are singing and ringing their hearts out. I'm thankful for our administrative assistant, Tammy Setlovich both because her surgery on Thursday went well and because of all the work she did to ensure that things run smoothly while she is recovering. I'm thankful that Kathy Rutledge came in to run the bulletin yesterday. I'm grateful that Don Carlisle and Barry Galbraith were able to repair the speaker that feeds into our nursery, and I'm grateful that Paul Idelson and Leslie Evans are down in that nursery right now, and that Mark Haney is down there too teaching Sunday school. And I'm especially grateful for all the expressions of love and support that I received on my birthday this week. Thank you all for being wonderful. Much obliged. Much obliged. 
A colleague of mine who happens to be uh, Don's second cousin, first cousin once removed, one of those, um, <laughs> posted this on Facebook last night. Patricia. Today was one of those perfect days you don't get too often. We spent the whole day together without even one argument or disagreeable word. We ate good food. We saw beautiful fish. I got to snuggle and hug both of my grandsons. Tonight I go to bed so incredibly grateful and I'll hold this day close when others are not quite so good. In his letter to the Philippian church, Paul models what it is like to be thankful on those days that are not so good. Despite his desperate circumstances, he thanks God for the people of the church, for their faith, for their love, for their gifts. And in a way, that's to be expected. But then he goes on to explain that his imprisonment has emboldened others to share the good news and thus to spread the gospel, and in that he rejoices. Though he is suffering, he is able to recognize and give thanks for the good that is coming out of his situation. He is rejoicing in that. If we actively cultivate gratitude, we too may discover things for which to be grateful on those not-so-good days, the days when we are ill or afraid, frustrated or hurting, things like a friend who takes the time to listen, a stranger who stops to help, a kind caregiver, an encouraging caller, beauty of a sunrise, a gift of flowers, a reassuring hug, the relief of pain medication, the triumph of a small step, a warm smile, a treasured memory, the loving support of our families. All those things hold us up, give us support, and enable us to give thanks when we pray on those not-so-good days. In everything, Paul says, give thanks. When we are happy, give thanks. When we are sad, give thanks. When we are struggling, give thanks. When we are discouraged, give thanks. When we are hurting, give thanks. When we are praying and asking God for help, give thanks. And more. Like Paul, we are called to give thanks not just in words but in our actions to let our gratitude for the blessings that we have received move us to bless others. As David Lose writes, we live in an age governed by a sense of scarcity and an ethos of looking out for number one. A simple word of gratitude opens us up to a world of abundance, mercy, and grace. It may seem like a small thing, noticing and thanking, but it's the first step to setting in motion, setting into motion a cycle of gratitude and grace. A cycle of gratitude and grace that can touch many lives and open up blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Imagine, for instance, what might happen if we expressed our gratitude not just by putting a blue card on the wall, but by sharing our thanks and love with those for whom we are grateful? There are a lot of people up there. If we went to each one of them and said, I'm so grateful for you, it just might in turn inspire them to express their gratitude to someone else. 
and that's someone to someone else. And who knows, that wave on our wall might just grow into a tsunami of gratitude that will carry blessings to people far beyond this community. If only we share our thanks. Now that, my friends, would be a reason to rejoice. May it be so. Amen.